Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Upward Call with Love. This is Christina, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I want to talk with you about some of the different parables that we find in Matthew 25 and how they relate to us living um, in these last days and the last days being from the time of Christ's resurrection up until today. And as we look forward to his second coming and the redemption of God's children. But before we get started, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity yet once again to glorify your holy and righteous name. Lord God, I thank you for your new grace and your new mercy in this day. And I thank you, Lord God, for your compassion because it does not fail. Now, Lord, would you open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to receive your message? Lord God, let it resonate with us. Let us recognize all truth by the power of your spirit that we may not only be hearers of your word, but also doers. It is in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So again, um, just want to talk a little bit about Matthew chapter 25. There's some wonderful treasures in this scripture. If you have not read it in a while, it is definitely worth going back and um, rereading the different parables. In chapter 25, you have the parable of the 10 virgins. We have the parable of the talents, and then we have the separation of the sheep from the goats. So some serious content here, but it's um, extraordinary when you really take the time to dig into it and see what it is that the Lord is revealing to us. So um, one of the things that uh, stands out for me personally is in the parable of the 10 virgins and keep in mind that the in the in the scriptures the term virgin is speaking to the purity of heart um the separation and sanctification of one's heart one's temple which is your body um to the glory of god to be used and indwelled by his Holy Spirit. So this particular uh, parable is speaking about 10 virgins. 10 were wise. Well, I'm sorry, five were wise and five were foolish. What makes them wise or foolish? Well, they had these um, lamps with them as they were anticipating the wedding feast. Now the group came with lamps but only five of them had oil for their lamps so the parable itself is representative of the second coming of christ so for those who are followers of christ that is what we anticipate the second coming of christ but there's a problem and there's an issue in the body of christ where there are some who are not prepared. Having been distracted by the things of this world or any number of reasons, but they're simply not prepared for his coming, not having oil for their lamps. Um, In the scriptures, of course, oil is um, a symbol standing in for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So in this particular parable, and I truly encourage you to go through and read it, um, it is Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And what we can see here is there are some similarities with these versions, but definitely some differences with them. Um, Both the wise and the foolish versions have invitations to the wedding feast, And both groups had expectations for the bridegroom's arrival. And guess what? Both groups even had their lamps with them. 
But the difference is only the wise virgins had oil for their lamps. What is the purpose of having a lamp if you cannot light it? And only the wise virgins were truly prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. And the bridegroom is um, a symbol or a type indicating Jesus Christ's second coming. Um, Back in biblical times and in ancient um, Jewish culture, and I'm sure, I'm pretty confident that some of these same traditions are um, held today. It was an entire ceremony devoted to um, the bridegroom's arrival where the groom would come and receive his bride near or after or about the midnight hour and it would be dark and so the procession would have these lamps and torches and things of that nature so that's what's representative here with the virgins and their lamps so in other words you as the bride and the church in the world today is the bride of christ because we will be united with him um, at his second coming and so the church is representative of the bride and then of course christ is the groom and in this particular parable that oil that was lacking with the foolish versions is the indwelling holy spirit it is so important to understand that the mark of Christ is the indwelling Holy Spirit. That is how God's children are identified from those who dwell on the earth who are not God's children. It is the mark of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And those are who will be united with Christ at his second coming. It's very important to understand that. So that particular um, parable is speaking about the second coming of Christ and the necessity of our preparation by um, receiving the indwelling Holy Spirit. Uh, It's really just that simple. Um, But the wise virgins... And the foolish versions, if we look around in the world today, we can see that the wise virgins would be those who are true members of Christ's body, who received Jesus into their heart with spirit and in truth, and who are truly vessels of the indwelling Holy Spirit, marked by God's salvation, marked and set to be redeemed, marked by the blood of Jesus. And yet we can also look around and we can see the foolish versions in our society and in our world today. And that, I mean, they stand for those who have that outward appearance of being members of the body of Christ. But inwardly, Christ does not live in them at all. He doesn't live in their heart, nor do they truly believe. And we have to be honest, there are people who do not truly believe, but who carry the outward appearance as being marked by God's Holy Spirit. They give the appearance, but are not of the same mind and body of Christ. And that would be representative of the foolish versions in this parable. Well, it's important that we know these things um, because we need to self-examine. People need to understand that you can't be outwardly saved. This is an in work. And it's all because God is the only one who can judge our hearts. So that's where the work is happening. It doesn't matter what you're doing on the outside. So um, in Matthew verse 7, actually 7 verses 24 through 27, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, we can actually see that discipleship, which is following Christ, following his precepts and his teachings, um, looking to him 
as the true role model in how to live a life that is pleasing in the sight of our Holy Father. Um, So discipleship is essential for steadfast faith. In other words, hearing and doing the word of God. And we know that this is only possible by the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit builds us up and keeps us faithful and keeps us prepared for Christ's return. But on the other hand, not hearing and not doing the word of God, not being led by the Holy Spirit, it's not only foolish, but results in spiritual destruction. And we can see the spiritual destruction even here and now, but of course, eventually damnation for all eternity. This stuff sounds harsh, but it's the truth. And we have to just, we have to speak the truth. (laughs) As simple as that. No one can have that excuse of they didn't know. It's very simple and straightforward that if you are not marked with God's Holy Spirit, then you are marked for eventual eternal damnation. Um, The scripture, of course, always supports what is revealed in the parables and the teachings of Christ and the experiences that the uh, Israelites had in the Old Testament, the scripture just continues to confirm and reveal these same truths. And we can see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through 8. And the, the Holy Spirit is giving us illumination of the truth through the word. So we can see the truth when we remain steadfast in faith, continue to search the scriptures and pray for wisdom and understanding. The Holy Spirit will allow us to see these things with new spiritual eyes. And when we see these changes happening in us, then we know that we are children of light and we are children who truly believe the word of our Father. And since we are children of light, we are to watch for the signs in the world that God gives us. We are to, again, search the scriptures and be alert of those signs and be aware of his coming. And not in a terrified way, like not in terror or anything, but in faith. Watch for his coming in faith and in love and with a blessed hope. Because we believe that Christ's redemption and salvation of our souls is the whole reason why we've gone through the many trials that we have faced in this life. And we don't want to be off guard when the most joyous and most hopeful event happens. And that is the second coming of Christ. So it's important that we do uh, search the scriptures, know the signs and be alert. Be alert to them and be wise, not foolish, as we wait for our groom. And this is really all a part of being a disciple of Christ. This is not anything unusual if you are walking in the faith. Um, If if you look a little further down in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, you can actually see right there it says about our calling to godliness you know godliness or holiness is our calling as disciples of christ because that is exactly what he represents god's holiness in human form and it is his holy spirit that dwells in us that makes it possible for us to live a life of godliness or holiness And that's because the indwelling spirit in us sanctifies us and preserves us until the coming of our Lord Jesus. And this is prophetic, you know, this is speaking to future events, but we're able to speak to those future events with confidence because of the faith that we have in Christ and the reality in our life as we experience his closeness, you know, we experience Christ in our lives right now today so of course we remain hopeful for his coming and we wait faithfully and we wait 
prepared because we believe that if he said he's coming and we know that he's returning to redeem us for himself, then we want to be ready. We don't want to be like the foolish virgins. We want to be of the wise variety. Uh, in scripture, again, just to reiterate, oil is often used as a picture of the Holy Spirit. And um, we see here in this parable that the virgins are indeed uh, either with or without the oil. And actually in John chapter 3 verses 5 through 8, we can see that the salvation that we receive is from God alone. And the way he made for us to receive that salvation is through a spiritual rebirth. And the way is to believe in Jesus Christ as the son of God and to believe in the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to be born again in that faith and belief. At that point, we are being prepared for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what gives us the new life. Therefore, if anyone does not believe, does not truly believe, they just have that outward appearance of believing, then they will not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And again, without the indwelling Holy Spirit, the destination, the disposition of the soul is eternal damnation. We can also see that in... Um, Mark chapter 16, verse 16. And then uh, we can travel on over to Romans. <laughs> it's the same story again. The scriptures verify and confirm the truth of the scriptures within itself. We don't even need to go to an outside source. All of the truth is in the scripture. It's breathed from God. There's no contradictions. And there's several different authors testifying to the exact same truth because it's one spirit in these authors inspiring them to write this truth. So if you travel on over to the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 9, you'll see that it explicitly states that flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit to spirit. So we know that we must die in the flesh, right? We know that we're, we die in our flesh. And that's really a sign of how temporary the things of this world are in comparison to eternity. We were never created to dwell here forever. However, our spiritual selves were created to dwell in eternity. But where will you spend that eternity is the question. And that's your choice. But if you want to spend eternity with God, then you must die to the flesh and be reborn in the spirit. The death of the flesh requires faith, of course. And it requires a spiritual resurrection. Therefore, our faith rests on belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because then we know that he lives although his body died. So therefore we can have that same hope and belief for ourselves as we continue to have faith in his resurrection. It also gives us great confidence that death has no hold on us because he showed us that death had no hold on him. That gives us wonderful confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit to revive our lives if we are truly children of God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 through 14 is right along the same sentiment. The Holy Spirit preserves and keeps us until the day of the Lord. That is his second coming. And the Holy Spirit is steadily regenerating us and perfecting us into the full image of Christ. And he, he matures us 
so that we are steadfast in faith while we undergo our transformation, but also keeping us steadfast in the faith while we await Christ's return and the redemption of our souls. He keeps us in all truth so that we are not deceived by the false teachers and false doctrine and all of those distractions that try to pull us off of the way. So the Holy Spirit is doing a mighty work in the life of believers. So we don't want to be unprepared false believers who have a lamp with no oil. Those are the foolish virgins in uh, Matthew 25. Chapters 1 through 13. And this particular parable is one that you may hear lots and lots of sermons about because it is that plain and it's that serious. But there is some assurance in this parable as well. There's that assurance that the Lord, our bridegroom, the one who we wait to be joined to, for all eternity, Jesus Christ, he supplies everything we need to live a holy life through the Holy Spirit. And I am so sure of this. I am so sure that Christ supplies everything I need to prepare for his return, that I am confident in sharing this truth with you and with other people, because that's how confident I am in this, but this particular parable challenges me to stay vigilant, to stay steadfast, and to stay ready for his return. It also is a precautionary tale. I think it's a precautionary tale for all who read it. It reminds us of the consequences of not being prepared for his return. It's a good parable for that. And it's a wonderful parable, actually, to share with others who do not understand the severity and the consequences of ungodliness. It's nothing to play with. It is also a huge warning sign that that mere outward show of faith that doesn't quite correspond with the truth of the indwelling Holy Spirit (laughs) by no means will false faith gain entry into the kingdom of God. I mean, Christ is not looking for how well we do religion. And he he's he's looking for worshipers who worship in his spirit and in truth because that is what our father seeks. If we look a little further down in uh, this chapter 25, there's another parable. (laughs) We know that our Lord loves a good parable. How else do you teach children beside what stories? But these are concerning our eternal souls, so they should not be seen as just fairy tales. This is our Lord's way of helping us to remember these extraordinary important pieces of information that will determine the disposition of our eternal soul. So in um, Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 through 30, it's the parable of the talents. Another one (laughs) that's preached about very often. And it too is extraordinarily straight to the point. (laughs) And letting you know that the gifts that God gives us are not to be misused, abused, hoarded, hidden, or anything of the sort. In this particular parable, Jesus is teaching us the consequences of such behavior. So in this parable, there's a... um, a master. There's masters and then a master and then there's some servants. And the master gives each servant a certain amount of currency or money or it's called talents um, in the scripture. 
And those talents might stand for different spiritual gifts or different experiences and skills and resources and the abundance of abilities that God blesses us with. But most importantly, of course, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's just say, you know, have that in, in mind when you're reading the the scripture, um, Matthew 25, 14 through 20, 14, 14 through 30, because you can look at your life and see the different blessings and resources and talents and gifts and experiences and loved ones that God has blessed you with and examine how are you using them to glorify him. But um, as you look at the uh, the parable of the talents, the first servant understood and he welcomed the responsibility and the opportunity that was placed before him. And he decided to put the talents that God gave him to work to produce more talents. And of course, the master responded favorably with delight. And I believe that's probably because the servant valued the responsibility and the opportunity that his master afforded him. And the master, I'm sure, appreciated the first servant's eagerness and keenness, um, his, his great business sense, reflecting his very own. And the master rewarded that first servant because he doubled the talents that the master gave him He rewarded that first servant by making him a ruler over even more and allowed that servant to share in his joy. But then there was a second servant. Now, this second servant received a lesser amount of talents. And even though he received less than the first, he still multiplied his talents. And it was, again, to the pleasure of the master. And I believe that the attitude of the second servant was one of a uh, responsibility, one of uh, gratitude for the opportunity, but yet he did not dwell on the fact that he received less than the first servant. Instead, he just went forth and he took what he was given by the master and he made more. And I imagine that the master was just as delighted with him as the first servant who had received more talents. And the whole idea is that that servant, even though he received less, he didn't grumble or complain. He simply used what he received and increased it. And the master, again, rewarded that second servant and invited him to come and share in his joy as well. And he made that second servant a ruler over many things as well. But then there was this third servant. (laughs) Now, the third servant's attitude was one of like fear and distrust. He hid his talent and blamed it on that fear and that distrust. And he kind of put it on the master's reputation as well. (laughs) So he brought back only what he had received and nothing more. Um, The master's response was one of anger and scolding of that servant. So instead of a reward, the third servant lost even the little talent that he had received. And even more than that, he was casted out into unprofitable darkness because the master was not pleased with his handling of the talents that he received. And guess what? He only received one talent. So he received much less than the first and the second servant. But it was never about the amount. It was always about the gratitude and opportunity and responsibility that the master bestowed upon each servant when giving them talents. And so that third servant is a perfect example to us of what fear and distrust can do. It leads to a life of unprofitable darkness. 
So let's, I mean, let's think about it. What was wrong with the response of the servant who received the one bag of gold? That was the third servant who received the lesser amount. And it's pretty clear that this servant allowed fear and distrust to rule his behavior, his thoughts, and his attitudes. So he went and ran and hid his talents. And the hidden talent really stands for that paralysis of thought, the paralysis of action, the paralysis of faith that can come upon a person. That whatever we receive from the Lord, we are to use to his glory and not allow fear or paralysis to stop us in using what he has given us to glorify him and to expand his kingdom and his territory on earth. And it's really wrong for us to take from God without considering how we might use it for his glory and to take part in the work of his kingdom here on earth. So Jesus is teaching us in the parable of the talents that if we seek completeness in his joy, we ought to be grateful, we ought to be responsible, and we ought to be willing in every opportunity he blesses us with. The gifts, the talents, and the resources that God supplies us they're not for us alone, but they are for the works of his kingdom. And we ought to continue using what we receive from God to build his kingdom and prepare for his return. And in doing so, we can trust that he will reward us with the completeness of his joy. And again, as disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, believers in Christ, Christians, there's no other event that we are waiting for except to be reunited with Christ and to be complete in his joy so God has supplied my heart your heart with love and understanding but it is up to us to seek him seek his righteousness Seek to live a life that is pleasing to him. Search his word. Demonstrate compassion and empathy for others. And utilize the gifts that he has given us. It's, there's really just, there's no other purpose for us being here in this, in this world. This parable reminds us also to chase after things that God has prepared for us. The things that he has prepared for us since the foundation of the world. And to do so with confidence that the disposition of our eternal soul will be in his loving arms in all fullness of his joy. So don't choose to chase after the things that lead you to destruction. Continue to chase after the things that God prepared for you since the foundation of the world. And we ought to respond to God's grace and compassion, his kindness, with love for others, and to live lives that bring glory to his name. To live as Jesus lived. And that is to live in the will of God by the power of his own spirit. And not in a not in a spirit of fear and confusion, because that's not He didn't give us a spirit that of of those um, attributes. He gave us a spirit of love and power and of a soundness of mind. And those who have decided to live in opposition to Jesus's teachings, refusing to do what is necessary in order to worship God in spirit and in truth. Well, they, it's simple. They have no part in his inheritance, but rather they have a part in everlasting punishment. Don't believe me? You can check it out in Matthew 
chapter 25, verse 46. And actually, we can move on a little bit further into chapter 25 and look at that parable. Now, this parable is called the um, separation of the sheep from the goats. Now, this one right here, you don't want to play with, okay? <laughs> um, this is Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. In this parable, Jesus is teaching about his return and how there will be separation of the sheep from the goats. Now, when Jesus starts this parable off, it's, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> He's speaking about his coming and his glory. And it turns real quick because that second coming of Christ is going to definitely be a blessing for all of those who are um, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But for those who are not, it's going to be complete terror. Because no one can avoid the judgment. And this judgment, as he describes himself, is going to be before his throne. And the scripture shows us that he will gather all nations. So no one's going to be exempt from this judgment. And what he's going to do is separate people according to his righteous judgment. And a group on his right, he'll welcome them into glory to the group on the left. They'll be sent to everlasting punishment. And though we still dwell together here on earth, we're all mixed up. The, the sheep and the goats are in the pasture together. It is important to understand that the day is coming that Christ, the good shepherd, will eventually separate his sheep from the world's goats. And Jesus is pointing out in this um, parable specific reasons why the sheep are receiving commendation from his father and an inheritance from him. Because the father is blessing the sheep. And he's blessing them because of the evidence in the way that they live their life with the Holy Spirit and how that evidence is being presented is in the deeds and the actions and the attitudes of the sheep. The sheep who were in the world caring for God's children by feeding and watering and housing and clothing and visiting them. These are the believers in Christ. This is what we ought to do with the, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. However, however, the group on the left, this is the group appointed for everlasting torment and separation from God. And that separation from God's grace and mercy. Separation from God's salvation, his Holy Spirit, his kingdom. And Jesus appoints the ghosts to everlasting punishment because they did the exact opposite from the sheep. They did not feed, water, house, clothe, nor did they visit any of the least of these, he says. The least of these, his brothers, the marginalized. So that's consequences to our action or inaction. And it all is determined by the simple evaluation. Are you truly saved? Do you truly live? with the Holy Spirit in you, guiding you to do the things that please the Lord. And we have to remember that God deals righteously and he deals righteously in both rewards and punishments. He cares 
very much about the well-being of his children, both physically and emotionally. And even we suffer when we sin against him. Yet he is still attentive and involved and he knows everything about us. He knows each and every need and he's seeing everything that we're doing. It's not for anyone to be um, scared to death or anything like that. It's to fear him, meaning have reverence for him. Understand the, the importance of living a godly life. And again, a godly life can only be lived by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So it's that thing of checking to see, am I just pretending to believe? Am I just going along with the religion? Or am I really saved? Is the Holy Spirit really living in me? It is time now to self-examine. Not on the day of judgment. So the works, keeping in mind the deeds that are being described in this parable, please do not think that... um, Jesus is telling us here that these specific works of, you know, feeding and housing and clothing and visiting people is what is our salvation. That's not what he's saying at all. But works, while they're not causing our salvation, works that we do are evidence of our salvation. And that's because faith in God always leads people to do good works, good deeds, good actions, to think right, to live right. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are literally a new creation. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is living in us. Christ is in our hearts and on our minds. Then what's going to flow out of us? True intentions of love, true intentions of caring for people. And it's all to serve God and to reflect his love and his glory through compassion, kindness, and gentleness and love for others through good works. So salvation is a gift, but it is so that the love of Christ will continuously flow through us to others we are the light of the world so God is opening doors for us if we pay attention um, opening doors for us to get better prepared for his the coming of his son our savior and if we are children of the most high we ought to resemble him as simple as that and we ought to carry his traits in us we have earthly parents and we if we know that we are our earthly parents we expect to have some resemblance of them we expect to carry their traits their dna in us so what is the difference god is our spiritual father therefore we ought to resemble him in spirit we ought to carry his attributes and traits within our spirit. And a good heart always brings forth good treasure. And guess what? An evil heart brings forth evil. And the only good in a human heart will ever be the goodness of God. That's it. Any goodness in our heart comes through salvation in Christ and the indwelling spirit. You can um, read more about that in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. So to, to just wrap this up with a bow, Matthew chapter 25, I encourage you to go in and take the um, different parables. There's three parables in there. Again, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and then the parable describing the separation of the sheep from the goats. I encourage you to go in and see the different elements of salvation, the different uh, ways that God is showing us how he's going to deal with sin 
at the second coming of Christ. And there's also prophecy and demonstrations of love in that chapter. So there's some wonderful, wonderful feasting to be had in Matthew chapter 25. But um, so why, 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 why are we even concerned about this? Well, we are living beings created for the glory of God. But many times we are not living to please him. And because our lives are no longer ours when we receive Christ into our hearts as our savior, then we need to be constantly reminded that our lives are not, they're no longer our own. In fact, First um, John, First John, chapter three, verse 16. Again, this is first John, the one that's further back um, in the um, New Testament. First John, chapter three, verse 16. Um, the scripture is reminding us there that because we, as children of God, having been saved by Christ, we should now perceive the love of God in a different way than the world. And by perceiving his love in Christ Jesus and seeing that he laid down his life for us, taking on him the penalty of our sin. Well, how much more should we give our lives to him? We owe our lives to him. They no longer belong to us because we received his life in exchange for ours. And in Christ, that, that's all the love and obedience that we need in order to live a life that is pleasing in the eyes of our Father. And if you look a little further down in that um, scripture, 1 John, verse, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, you see again that we can't do this outwardly. This love is not only in word or in language, but it's in our deeds and it's, it's in truth. This is what the Father is seeking. Who are we not to conform to what the Father is seeking? So friends and family, let's just, let's, let's emulate Jesus. Let's be like Jesus because he's the epitome of God's love. And this is essential. It's essential if we truly believe. Let's not be like the foolish virgins. Let's not be like the, the third servant. And let's definitely not be like the goats. But rather, let our attitudes, deeds, actions, and lifestyles reflect the wonderful gifts that God has bestowed upon us so that we might be saved and be invited into his joy for all eternity. And just watch, when, just watch your life, how it begins to change <laughs> When you decide and set your mind to live a life that is pleasing in preparation of his coming. And just watch how things turn around in your heart, in your mind, and in your soul. And the peace that you experience that surpasses all situations and circumstances. You're still going to have troubles. You're still going to have trials. But it's just different. <laughs> so I encourage you. To seek God's righteousness. Uh, Matthew 6 and 33 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yes, we are waiting for the coming of Christ. We're waiting for the kingdom of God to become uh, a reality in all fullness. 
but we are seeking God's righteousness in order to even inherit that kingdom. And if we're seeking his righteousness here on earth, then we know everything, all things that we need to do his will will be added unto us. So friends, family, sisters, brothers, seekers, people who are not sure, don't be like the foolish virgin. Don't be like the third servant who hid his talents and don't be like the goats. Come to Christ in spirit and in truth. Lay it all out on the line. Give your life to him in exchange for his. And seek his righteousness and everything will be added. So I encourage you as always. Just continue to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. You can't lose. You can't lose with that. Keep pressing on. Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you one more time. And a time and a time again, Lord. You are truly worthy of all praises, all honor. Lord God, glory is yours and yours alone. Yet you have looked down upon this earth, Lord God, and decided to extend an arm of salvation for all who would receive. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord. Because we have a blessed hope and you and you alone provided through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to open our hearts wider and wider and that your indwelling Holy Spirit will guide and lead us in every way that pleases you. Let us not be resistant, but welcome you, Lord God, because we know that the day of the Lord is soon approaching and we want to be on the side of the sheep. We want to experience your righteousness into all eternity. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and thank you, Lord. It's worth saying again, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, y'all. Be blessed. <laughs>